Hello, and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. I'm Jordan Crook. And once again, Daryl Etherington is out for his getting his honeymoon. haircut. He's <laughs> still, still getting his haircut. Uh, he wasn't <laughs> happy with it last week, so he went back again on a Friday morning. That's his haircut day. Um, but it's just going to be the two of us, and we're going to talk about a new Netflix rom-com, Your Place or Mine. We're also going to catch up on the latest episode of The Last of Us, which is called Kin. And before we do that, we're going to talk about a little bit of news. Usually when we use this spot more for like industry news, but I thought this would be something that both of us probably have at least some, some feelings about, which is that... Uh, the creator of Succession, Jesse Armstrong, just gave an interview where he confirmed that this upcoming season, the fourth season of Succession, will be the last one as well. Uh, Jordan, you just found this out like 30 seconds ago before we started recording. How do you feel about it? Yeah, when you told me, just with no cushion, no prep. <laughs> Didn't even make sure I was sitting down. Um, no, I knew you were sitting down. Yeah, maybe it's like personal growth, right? Because I like don't feel all that sad. I, I, I am because I think it's a great show and, you know, I always want more of things I love, but it's clear now after three seasons that we can't get out of this. I mean, the show is called Succession and we cannot get out of the plot of Succession. We can't get out of right. will the kids take over for Logan, right? And who will and what kind of betrayals and shenanigans and uh, underhanded tricks and smoke and mirrors will they deploy in order to potentially do this or will they never do this? And so, yeah, eventually you have to answer that question. Um, you can't just keep kind of re recycling and rinsing and repeating. So it makes sense. And I am, I will say that I am excited to get the answer i'm excited to see who wins in the battle between logan and his children um yeah so all's well that ends well i guess we'll see how they how they stick the landing here but do you have any guesses about what the ending might look like uh i i hate to do that you know okay. like i <laughs> i think i think i know what i want to happen and I think that it's unlikely that I'll get what I want because it's an HBO show. It's a drama. It's written by very clever people. And it is unlikely that it gets tied in the bow that I want it tied in. Um, so, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Cameron, obviously, or Connor. <laughs> <laughs> I I would say that it's hard to imagine. A, like, I think that any ending where one of the kids... Um, ends up with the company is a happy ending. I think actually the happy ending is where they're like, which hopefully is kind of what they're moving towards is where they're like, fuck this shit. Like I'm going to go do my own thing. Um, I think that most, I, I would also say that I'm, I'm not a hundred percent confident, but I think it's pretty likely that, that Logan will not be alive at the end of the show. I think that that's very likely too. I think the succession will take place. I mean, okay, if we're making predictions, I think that the three kid Logan, either the three kids will beat Logan and they're mm -hmm. they've united at the end of season three. So they'll either beat Logan, take over the company as a triad, and he will die from the shock of it, basically. Yeah. 
or he will die, they will take over. And in either case, they will begin the cycle of succession among one another yet again. Uh, I think there's so, a good chance that's the ending and that's like a really depressing ending. Yeah, I think there's no, it's just, we've talked about this a bunch of times on the podcast, the idea that like, there is no such thing as enough once mm-hmm. you get a taste. Um, And so I think if that is an ever present truth in succession, which it is, then why would that change? Why would the fundamental physics of that universe change at the end? What could change those physics? And I don't know that anything can. So I think there's never a world in which these four individuals who have been kind of raised and groomed to want to win and not only win altruistically, like I achieved something great, but you lost because I won. That's how their brains work. And so I just don't know that that ever changes. I don't know that family is greater than winning in succession. Right. Yeah. I think that maybe the, my hope was that by sort of removing the, the thing. Professional of, irritant, the ad, the <laughs> agitator of that. Yeah. Yeah. This, this thing of like, Oh, who, who is going to get it? Who is he going to appoint? Who is daddy going to appoint the, you know, the, the prince or princess um, that maybe they could sort of develop a healthier relationship. But I think that's probably not really true. I mean, I think probably there can be some, I think, cause I do think the show does occasionally show some hope for personal growth and uh, healthier relationships, but not much. So I, I don't think it's going to be in a, a particularly happy ending. Um, but we'll, we'll see. So we'll, uh, we'll come back to this at the end and see how good our guesses were, but let's move on to your place or mine. Um, it is a romantic comedy on Netflix starring Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher, who I think have not, neither of them have really made fun, fluffy movies like this in, a long time. Were you excited to watch this? No, I, <laughs> it's weird. I was asking Danny about this. I was like, you know, I used to love rom-coms. Like how to lose a guy is one of my like top 10 movies. You know, like I just, I, I used to really love them. And I don't, I'm not even really a fan of Matthew McConaughey. Um, but like all the Julia Roberts, my best friend's wedding, you know, like I, I really liked that genre of movies for a long time. And either they're not making them as well anymore. There's something in the translation of the last 20 years that has made them lose their kind of like impact or I'm getting older and it's just less appealing to me. I mean, I love, I have a real respect for Ashton actually, like as an investor, I've interviewed him a couple times and talked to him about startups and he's so smart. So I always kind of am delighted to see him on screen because it's like this whole other thing he's really good at. Mm-hmm. And it's just a cool vibe. Reese, I also have been a big fan of, particularly in her dramatic roles. I loved her in um, Big Little Lies. I just didn't care very much. I even started it, got bored, paused it, and then watched the rest this morning because we had to do the podcast. Like that's how kind of like uninterested I was. And I, you know, I giggled and watched and whatever, but yeah, it didn't spike the adrenaline in any way. 
I, I was actually really excited for this. Um, this will probably annoy you, but the reason is because it's written and directed by Aileen Brosh McKenna, who wrote one of my favorite movies of all time, The Devil Wears Prada. And mm. which is, I mean, it's interesting because that's not that is really a really romantic comedy, but it has, I think it sometimes gets slotted in that um, because mm -hmm. it has some of this similar style and, and feel to it. Um, and she also co-created uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And so has done a lot of good stuff, but this is the first movie she's directed. And I, I think for that reason, I was like, oh, this must be like a really big swing for her. And so I enjoyed the movie, but I was I was definitely a little bit disappointed because at the end of it, I was like, all right, that's pretty good. It wasn't like amazing. I don't imagine myself rewatching this every year or anything like that. Yeah, I just think that like the world is kind of against rom-coms right now. Like, I think that there's like the evolution of TV and movies and all of these things has like really pushed us into really interesting places, whether it's like the actual comedy and just how edgy and kind of wild and and um, dark some of those have become, or it's like dramatic stories that have really lifted us out of like the white guy, white girl, upper middle class love story is just so kind of like boring at this point because we've experienced so many different things. I don't know, but yeah, it was it was fine. Like it was not a bad movie. Like it's fine and it's a great one to have in your pocket, I guess. It just like it, the thing about rom-coms is they are so predictable. Mm -hmm. You know what's going to happen. Kind of they set up the framework. In this case, we've got these best friends who hooked up once who are switching homes for circumstances in their lives, whatever. And they're on different coasts in each other's homes. And you know from the outset exactly what kind of is going to play out. So it's about the, it's about two things. It's about like the twists within that, what's exactly going to work out that keep you kind of refreshed and guessing about your prediction, which will come true, but you should doubt it throughout the process. And two are the fine details of the dialogue that make you laugh, mm -hmm. that give you kind of like unexpected joy and delight from the the actual dialogue and the chemistry and kind of the the back and forth of the characters um and this again was like fine on both of those it was fine yeah i think that i mean there are ways that it tries to subvert the formula a little bit i mean one is just i mean not none, none of these things is totally unprecedented but you know obviously it's, it's focusing on on slightly older characters you know who are like in their 40s and so um there's some acknowledgement that they're not just you know like people who are just starting out in their careers and just starting out in their adult lives but have like these histories um and and then i think the big thing of course is that they're physically not really in the same place for most of the movie um and and so like they have to sort of create this sense of like a relationship of like falling in love in some sense even though they actually are barely ever in the same room during the movie yeah, that's kind of unique, I guess. Yeah, it it like is, I think it does make it different. I think that, again, I I don't, this isn't really a spoiler, is <laughs> that they do eventually get together. Um, and I think a little bit, there is a little bit of this feeling where you're like, oh, I guess, I guess they get together because they're the two famous actors in this movie who are supposed to get together. It does, like the movie doesn't convince me that they're destined to have this amazing epic love story. It's more just kind of like, 
all right, I guess it's time for that to happen. Yeah. I feel like they missed a real opportunity. Like there's a bit, I don't know, maybe I should wait for spoilers. Um, But there is something about like best friends. I, I think that there's more popularity today in pop culture than there was maybe 10 years ago. Because if you think about like romance and marriage and lifelong partnerships, right? Like 50, 60 years ago, you were likely to marry someone who was lived on your block, literally. Mm-hmm. It was like a 70% likelihood or something. And then, you know, over time, it be this trope or this idea of falling in love for love and not convenience and for these butterflies or whatever that, you know, hit, knock it out of the park world series kind of, kind of love or whatever became really popular and dating apps kind of like facilitated that and that you could like roam outside of what was convenient or your known circles and find something right. new. And I think in the wake of that and in the wake of many 20 something divorces, we're seeing that there needs to be maybe something in the middle, which is that uh, relationships should make you feel something that should it shouldn't be completely a logistical operational um, partnership, but that that's that stuff matters. It matters, right? Like how well you know someone, your compatibility with them, your shared values with them, kind of like how you tackle and work through problems, all of that matters. And so this idea of like marrying your best friend has become mm-hmm. really popular. Um, because I think it's some sort of in between of those things. Yeah, I get butterflies, but you're also my best friend and I know you and we can figure right. stuff out together. We've tackled problems before. And I think this does a good job of this until the very end, basically. <laughs> um, but I do think that that's somewhat unique because it's not, hey, we just met and we, you know, like that. that is the kind of rom-com thing tends to be a little bit more around like something new, not not always, but something new, falling in love and that whole right. process. And it's like that happened kind of like under everyone's noses in this movie. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I will say that I don't think this is necessarily a problem with this movie, but when you, there have been, I think, I think you're right that it's sort of an idea that kind of comes around every once in a while. And I mean, obviously sort of one of the really uh, emblematic movies of that is like When Harry Met Sally. And, and, and I think that kind of When Harry Met Sally movie, I can enjoy it. But I think sometimes the problem that I, the thing that I'm a little unhappy with when you have that narrative is it can sort of imply that the friendship wasn't really living up to its potential until they get together romantically um, versus like, it's like, no, it's like, actually, if you have like a deep platonic relationship to somebody who you might have had romantic interest in with at some point, but like, really like like the friendship itself is like incredibly worthwhile and and deep and so who cares like whether or not you're also sleeping together um and and so yeah. i feel like sometimes th- that it's again i don't think any one of these movies says this but i think it's sort of built into this narrative of like oh like what they really want the thing that will truly make them happy is when they get together romantically and uh, I'm kind of like, that will kind of, yeah, just... like solidify everything. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I think they could just be happy if they just like, you know, improve their friendship too. Well, that's why my best friend's wedding is actually one of the right. best rom-coms of all time, because it does subvert your expectations along those lines. You root the entire time for Julia Roberts to get with Michael, right? That's his name in the right. 
I don't know why I can't remember his name because I always wanted him to play Fifty Shades of Grey. Dermot Mulroney. Dermot Mulroney. You always root for her to end up with him. And at the end, he's in love with Cameron Diaz and he tells her so. And she is happy for him. And she accepts that their friendship is valuable and worthwhile on its own and that maybe there's something for her romantically in the future. But that is a great rom-com. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Because it does exactly what you're talking about. And that's not to say that people who are best friends who have a romantic connection and explore that side and live happy lives together, that that's not great. But the idea that one outweighs the other is kind of silly. Yeah, exactly. That all these narratives, with the exception of my best friend's wedding, can only end one way, which is them getting together. Um, so you would have liked it if she ended up with the other guy? I kind of like the other guys. He seemed, I mean, he seemed great. Seemed I liked good. Yeah. That that was one of the things that I I, I like in rom-coms that, that, you know, that, that happens, but not as often as I would like is when the competitor is actually like really solid. When you're like, like oh, this other person, maybe she should end up with him instead. Kind of an Alfie vibe in Emily, oh, Emily in yeah. Paris. Or like, um, you know, you, it makes me wonder genuinely now, because if this was written by the same writer as Devil Wears Prada, mm -hmm. I do wonder if there's a version of this, some alternate ending that was pitched originally, where she ends up with publisher dude. Yeah. And that it was forced to change <laughs> because <laughs> people wanted right. Ashton and Reese, to, Reese together at the end. But because uh, that would be a move that a Devil Wears Prada writer would do, because at the end of Devil Wears Prada, it doesn't end the way you think it will. Right. With her getting kind of the promotion and in line to be Vogue editor or whatever. She quits. She the job. says, oh, no, that's not. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. So anyway interesting do we spoil quickly yeah let's, let's spoil it um, so if you have not seen your place or mine and you don't want to be spoiled i would say this is one of those movies that it's probably fine to be spoiled too so you can keep listening if you want but if you don't want to be spoiled you should stop listening now i think my point with what i was going to try to say earlier when they do it so well until the end is that like the whole time they're proving to us, kind of proving to us that they only really have one secret from another, one another, which is their feelings and maybe even a secret from them, themselves. It feels like he kind of knew all along and has been trying to mm -hmm. ignore it. She kind of found out or realized that she loved him or maybe again, hiding it from herself. He seemed to know it more consciously. But at the end, she says, you know, we're friends. Are we not going to be friends anymore? It's mm -hmm. the perfect opportunity to say like, of course we are, but also this, right? right? And he's like, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> and that just bothers me so much, you know? Like, I just feel like that was a wasted opportunity. I also felt like there was probably an opportunity at the end to dig in a little deeper on how their life looks after the fact. I mean, they like yeah. kind of rushed through it. And for all that waiting of what you know is going to happen, I would have loved like 90 seconds more. Yeah, I felt like it there were no surprises in this in that final section of like what their life looks like. I mean, I guess cuz one thing you do wonder a little bit is because one of them lives in New York and one lives in Los Angeles when they get together how how is that going to play out? Um and then it just felt very obvious quickly. to me as someone who's marrying someone with a child. 
Right. Yeah, I think that it became clear that I was like, oh, there's no way she can leave L.A. And and also because the reasons he left um, L.A. were were very silly and and obviously actually just a cover for the fact that he had feelings for her and it was hard for him. Um, But in some ways, it seemed like the life that she discovered for herself um, in New York was actually really appealing and Mm -hmm. could... And and so, I mean, also, also I'm biased because, you know, I, I grew up in L.A., left L.A., live in New York, love New York. And so there was a part of me that's like, no, you should you guys should move to New York. Maybe not his like super sterile, minimalist apartment. But but uh, yeah, that, that maybe there'd be a version of the story where it ended that way. But like, yeah, pretty, pretty early on. You're like, no, 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 he, he's going to move to L.A. And um, just even but I'm like glad that a she glimpse of that job. conversation, you know, yeah. like a glimpse of him being an author now, right? Like there's just a couple, there's things that happened and the kid was so instrumental. I mean, I actually really liked the scene where the kid was like, so what's going to happen? Like, are you going to, we're all a good, like, can you just, it's obvious that we should just be a family. (laughs) So can you do that? Um, And yeah, it would have been nice to see them all together other than like a, a panning shot away from the window basically right. is what we got like hey here's all the stuff that happened in text like they got married and moved to LA and the kids on the hockey team now and like here's a fading shot of them living a happy life it's like no man let me see that for a minute like right. I sat around and waited for it <laughs> and not even like the romantic stuff but just seeing like her life as an editor his life as a writer like you were saying and yeah just like little glimpses more of like how their life has changed um would have been fun i will i think one thing i really did like about the the movie that probably my favorite thing about the movie was this idea of that, that we sort of like tell ourselves stories about who we are and and that part of like the growth that each of them experience is realizing, Oh, like this story I told myself about who I am is like not really true because no one is ever completely one thing. And that, that a lot of it is less about is not just about them realizing, Oh, I'm in love with Ashton Kutcher or Reese Witherspoon, but it's also about like, Oh, this I'm like figuring out that, that who I told myself I was, isn't really the full story. And I don't think it goes super deep in that, but to me, that's like a really fun story and and maybe even more interesting than the romantic one. Yeah, it does feel like the like need to, and I do think that's somewhat relatable, like the need to kind of like pragmatize your thoughts about your future. Yeah. uh, The older you get becomes interesting and how like they're kind of like buried feelings for one another actually manifested throughout all parts of their life. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like don't have that much more to say, honestly, (laughs) about this movie. Like, let let me ask you one other plot thing. Um, How did you respond when, so one of the the big secrets beyond the fact that they're in love with each other is the fact that Ashton has written this novel, which he never told Reese about. I liked that. And then she then decides to just submit submit it without his permission, um, which I was like, this is crazy. I mean, it's like a, it's like rom-com crazy. So you're like, OK, like something over the top has to happen. But I was like, oh, man, like in real life, I don't know that he could ever forgive her for that. Maybe, maybe not. You never know with people's like, you know. Obviously had a good outcome 
secret. Yeah, exactly. And like maybe, you know, if it was horrible, she probably wouldn't have done that. Right. Or if it felt like it was um, cutting too close to the bone in a really obvious yeah. way, like if it was a memoir, right. would she have done that? I don't know. You know, um, but she obviously thought it was great and he wrote it for a reason and he always dreamed of being a writer, right? Like the yeah. first scene in the movie is like, I'm going to write so many books. I've already written all these books. I can't stop talking about these books, even though we're trying to fuck. Right. Like, so it's clearly this like deep seated thing. And that's what friends are for, I guess. I don't know. I, I thought it was good. Like regardless of my feelings on whether or not she should have done that right or wrong, forgivable or not. I just thought it w it like added momentum to the story of what was yeah. like it was maybe the only twist that he has these like secret things in his life that he's kind of like burying away or putting in the oven that show like that the old him is still in there maybe or the mm -hmm. dreamer in him is still in there and um yeah I thought that that was I thought that was good. It was good flavor that that was desperately needed in low sodium chicken broth of a movie. <laughs> yeah, so I think we're pretty much on the same page. Like, what about their chemistry, though? I think that's uh, last question. Hmm, I mean, I think that there's that like meme picture of them at the premiere, I guess, where they're like standing there, and there's. Have you seen this? I have like caption this, and they just look so. <laughs> neutral to be together <laughs> like it, and there are a bunch of captions about like you know dropping kid off at school in like 10th grade or something <laughs> like no one really cares um, I, I think in general with with uh on-screen romance I'm a lot more forgiving than other people where like I think if the story convinces me then like everyone else who I watch a movie with might be like, there's no chemistry. This is dead. This is like, there's nothing on screen. And I'm like, I thought it was fine. Um, I think in this case, I would, didn't totally buy their chemistry, which means that since my standards are already so low, probably it was actually terrible. Cause like, yeah. or I think they had really good friend chemistry, but not great romantic chemistry in that big, uh, you know, scene at the airport at the end. Yeah. I mean, the good news is that they're, I mean, maybe a reason that we didn't see that much chemistry is like so much of it is shot with them apart. Yeah. So many scenes are apart that like, it's hard to make the leap to like jump in his arms and make out because we just don't have, and they didn't have much as actors to kind of like work off of, you know? Um, so yeah, it wasn't great. It was, again, just very medium. Everything's very medium. Yeah, it, it did make me wonder about the way they shot this movie. Like if they tried to like, say, be off screen with each other, like when they were doing the phone conversations and stuff. So they developed some sort of chemistry or if they really just shot one day together for this whole movie. And I could definitely imagine it being the, the latter that like, you know, that really most of the time it was either Reese scenes or Ashton scenes. And then there's a couple days where they they shot their scenes together and that was it. Yeah. I assume you're right about that. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about The Last of Us. Again, the most recent episode is called Kin. Do you want to talk a little bit about just what happens in this episode? Sure. Yeah, I'll run us through it. Uh so we open and they're traveling by foot, it seems from 
wherever they were to trying to get to Wyoming, basically, um, to find Tommy, Joel's brother. They come across a couple who's like, if you cross that river, you're going to die, basically. Um, nothing good happens over there. We've seen the bodies. We don't know who they are. We don't know if they're infected or what, but like people are dead. So I wouldn't cross the river. And they're like, okay, let's cross the river. So they start making their way past this river and they talk a little bit about fear. It's clear that Joe's, uh, Joel's kind of fear and anxiety is getting the better of him. It's like manifesting physically, which is a deviation from the game. Hmm. Um, and they get across this river and are kind of instantly caught by this group of people on horseback. And um, they're checked by this infection sniffing dog. Both of them pass the test and Joel reveals his name and they kind of the, the group of hunters or whoever they are kind of chill out a little bit and they're like, okay, let's take you back to where we're going. And they end up in Jackson a uh, small town of Jackson, which is walled off entirely. And it is, you know, utopic. And as far insofar as how this world actually works, because they have running water, they have agriculture, they have livestock, they have electricity. Um, they're enjoying kind of like modern pleasures, like watching movies and there are children playing games there's functioning kind of economy. I wouldn't call it an economy because it's basically communism, but there is, you know, everybody has what they need basically. Um, and they're pretty blown away. And that's when we find out that Tommy is there and that's why they were able to come because Tommy is actually there and he is married to the woman, kind of the leader woman who found them originally. And, then the second half of the episode is really about like Joel wanting to take Ellie to the Fireflies. He wants to complete kind of his his ultimate quest and mission of taking her to see if we can develop a cure. But his fear is getting the best of him. He doesn't feel fit to protect her on that journey and argues with Tommy to take her instead. He's younger. He's better at this. He knows the way and she'll be safer. And Tommy finally agrees, even though he's also expecting he's resistant at first, but he agrees. And then Joel goes to tell Ellie, and this is a kind of line for line reenactment from the from the game. Pretty important scene where he says, I'm not going to do it. You know, I you're not safe and I'm not your dad and get over it, basically. And Ellie's emotional, upset by, by that, but she gets ready. Tommy comes to pick her up. And then lo and behold, of course, Joel is like, all right, I'll go, whatever. Or, you know, you you deserve a choice, basically, Ellie. Mm -hmm. If you want me to take you, I'll take you. And she has a great line in that speech, which is like, it makes me less scared. Like, if it makes you more scared, that sucks. But it makes me less scared to be around you. Um. And so she chooses Joel instantaneously. They head out on their way. They find the University of Eastern Colorado, and it looks mostly abandoned and a group of kind of like vigilantes or whatever, survivors really is all that they are. But they're hunting, they have weapons, and Joel tries to fight them off, but he ends up with a kind of broken bat, I think, in his gut. Yeah. 
Ellie tries to get them away to safety and the episode ends with Joel kind of like falling off the horse and not opening his eyes and Ellie saying like, I can't do this without you. And then we cut to black. Yeah. It's interesting because I mean, a lot happens in the episode, but actually my experience watching it was often, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> I mean, particularly with the community of of Jackson, I think because both in The Last of Us and in these kind of post-apocalyptic narratives in general, I think you're sort of trained to be like, if anything seems good, then look for whatever is like rotten under the surface because something bad is going to happen. And then at least from what we see in this episode, it it really is what it looks like. It is this community that's working. Maybe it's not perfect, but fundamentally, like these are good people trying to do their best. And And so instead, it's like none of the drama really comes from the community. It's all really about Joel and Ellie and Tommy working out a lot of their feelings towards each other. Um, which I mean, especially like I think the the big scenes between Joel and Ellie and Joel and Tommy, I think, are are like really inc- both like incredible. You know, I could be wrong about this, but I just feel like Jackson doesn't really show up until the very end of the game or part two of the game. Hmm. So I think it is a deviation because I think that that community that they have that's walled off is actually at that water dam. Okay. And I think a lot of these scenes happen kind of in the midst of that. I could be wrong, but I I just had this feeling when I saw Jackson, I was like, that's too early. That's not, (laughs) we shouldn't be here yet, but I could be wrong. Well, did you also, I mean, I don't know if this happens in the game too, is like there's a way this episode starts is it's like three months after what we saw in, in Kansas city. So there's like a big chunk of the journey that we've just skipped too. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think that there's like little bits that happen. Like there's one point where they are walking through like an old town and see some kids stuff. They at, at one point go through a museum, I think on their journey and you have mm-hmm. different like infected kind of challenges or things you're exploring, but there is a big time jump okay. from basically once you lose the car and you kind of go through Kansas City or whatever, whatever it was in the game, Pittsburgh. There's like a few, th- you know, there's different points of interest and kind of like things that you do there. Th- that actually is much more expanded in my recollection of the different kind of things you have to do and get through in order to mm-hmm. get out of that situation and start on the road. But then there is kind of a, all right, we've been on the road for a while and it's been mostly chill with a few brief like interludes. You know, I think at one point they find a hotel and there's a bunch of infected in there. One point they're they're like underground. They're in this like sewage pipe and there's a bloater. It's really scary. But like, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's like the the time lapse is fair, though. Did you feel I mean, I guess because then the other thing that happens with the time lapse is that when we come back to Joel and Ellie, they're obviously much more comfortable with each other. And even though, and and they're close enough that obviously Joel does say, I'm not your father, but like part of the reason that the dynamic of that scene is that, you know, that on some level, he's like a little bit in denial that that is how he feels about about her as is. You about. don't have to say something like that if it's obviously true for both sides, right? Right. I don't have to say, you know, I'm not your friend, Anthony, (laughs) unless there's some inclination that I would be your friend and I would have to disprove that or dispute it. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that, that there's a reason that has to come out of his mouth to to begin with, which is that, yeah, you are. (laughs) Right. 
And and I guess part of the reason I ask you that is because I know in some of the past episodes, you were a little bit feeling like Joel and Ellie weren't in the spotlight enough and you didn't, you weren't invested in the relationship enough. So like, do you feel like by jumping ahead and being like, okay, they've built this relationship, but a lot of that has happened off screen. Did that bother you at all? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think again, like the time we spent with, uh, what's her name? Uh, Allison, what was her Kathleen? name? The, yeah. You know, like to what end did we do that? Ultimately, you know, um, it does some good world building and again shows the value of um, why we live in this world, why we even try, you know, yeah. and same thing for Sam and Henry that had was impactful at the end. And it does mirror the relationship between Joel and Ellie, but ultimately it's hard. It's really hard. It's both delightful and difficult to watch this show as someone who played the game as kind of thoroughly as I did, because you spend so much time. I think the game is like 80 hours long. Yeah. And in the first one, there's never a time when you're not in kind of like embodying Joel or Ellie, one or the two of them. There are very few times when they are not together. And so the amount of time, and even if there isn't quite like, one, there is more dialogue between the two of them whether it's impactful or not, there's just generally more dialogue in the game than there is thus far in the show. But two, even if it's not dialogue, you're just walking behind or walking near, or you have someone mm -hmm. watching your back and there's like a agency within that dynamic that you're a part of as well. And so you really feel when you're fighting someone as Ellie, you feel Joel nearby. Right. And there's something really powerful to that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think they're trying to kind of get there and I think they're making progress, but it feels like where we are in the show versus this same point in the game, the connections just so much more palpable in the game. Did you like the episode overall? I did like the episode overall. I found myself trying to do mental math on what was the same and what was different, which was kind of mm -hmm. distracting, honestly, and I wish I wasn't doing that. I... And was just trying to remember, like, I was like, I re vaguely remember this and that and the other. Um, but overall, I really liked the episode. I think it's clever to have Joel's fear kind of manifesting in that way. And you also don't really get a sense in the game, or at least I don't remember getting a sense that he was not up to the task of protecting her. He's kind of almighty in the game mm -hmm. in a way. Um. I think this was good. I think it showed, it just goes again, deeper emotionally in terms of what's going on in everyone's head. Yeah. Did you like I, the episode? I did. I mean, I think that there's something a little bit disappointing when you're set up to expect something sort of bigger and more terrible to happen and, and nothing <laughs> does. And you're like, oh, that was, that went fine. I mean, that Joel one might okay, die. Good. Is that yeah, well, at the terrible very, enough? <laughs> that's true. Although I'm also like, I, I'm pretty confident that that Joel doesn't die here. Um, and um, yeah, but I think, uh, you know, when I look back at it, it, to me, yeah, the episode is really about just a couple of those like really big scenes where like Joel is wrestling with his emotions. And I mean, I think actually weirdly because I think because I did, because I've watched a lot of Last of Us, you know, promotional videos on YouTube. So they also, it also recommended the, the clip from the game where they have that scene. So I'd actually seen that one 
uh, moment exchange from the from the game between him and Ellie. So I was like, oh yeah, this is from the game. I, I know this one. Um, and it was good. It was really well done. But actually the one that hit harder for me was the scene with Tommy where Joel just basically confesses like, I don't think I can do this. I'm really afraid. And this is, you know, the one last thing I'm going to ask of you. And like, it, it feels, because also like, you know, through the whole reunion is at first they're both like really happy to see each other, but very quickly you get the sense that there's a lot of this tension and resentment and disappointment. And like that also feels like it kind of all comes out in that moment. And so it just feels like this really emotionally charged scene and, and then, and then also it feels like really moving when Tommy, even though Tommy obviously is like really pissed off at his brother in a lot of ways is still like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. And Tommy never needed saving in the game. Right. So like it adds a lot to this, these scenes when in the show that was always kind of like a dual quest for Joel mm -hmm. was like, mm -hmm. I got to save Tommy. I also have this mission with this girl. I'm going to try to, you know, Tommy's my best shot at kind of saving this girl. So I'll go try to save him. And then to right. realize he doesn't need saving, you know, yeah. and that he kind of just chose his new life over you is right. emotional. And I think that they did a good job depicting that um, and how that was all playing out and how people felt about it. I agree with you that, you know, did probably for you in particular more than me felt like there was something looming some danger looming that kind of never the hammer never dropped i we got so much danger in the last episode right um that yeah it made sense for this to take its foot off the gas a little bit and do some bridge bridge building yeah definitely of of everything we've seen about this post-apocalyptic world the place i would want to live is is jackson yeah i think everyone feels that way <laughs> um any final thoughts about kin or hopes for are you still feeling good about these final three episodes i am yeah i think this is i think i know what happens in the last two episodes i could be wrong so I'm interested in this next one because I remember, I just vaguely remember Joel being hurt, but I really don't know how we get out of that pickle. So I'm excited for the next one. I'm, yeah, I'm assuming, again, not knowing what happens in the in the game, I'm assuming that probably Ellie is probably going to be kind of the the hero of the, the next episode, but, but we'll see. And yeah, I'm assuming that Joel is not going to die. Um, Actually, I think based on the previews, I don't know if this is... A spoiler to say. But based on the previews, I feel like the next episode is actually a big flashback. Oh, okay. All right. So Which I know, know you've been kind of hankering for some of that early apocalypse stuff. Well, it's not early, early apocalypse. Oh, okay. Well, it might be. It's like um it's an expansion pack. It's a DLC on the on the game. Which huh. I've had a lot of my friends who play the game text me and say. I'm so excited they include included the expansion pack because it's a great storyline and it 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 teaches us a lot about about Ellie. Um, but yeah, oh, I just I, I see. just remembered okay. that. Okay, got it. All right, um, all right. Well, I'm excited. We'll talk about it next week. If you have watched Your Place or Mine or 
all six episodes thus far of The Last of Us and you have thoughts, you can share them originalcontentpod at gmail.com. That's originalcontentpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at originalcontent. And we always appreciate it when you subscribe and leave us a positive review in Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. Thank you so much for listening. Jordan, I'll talk to you soon. Whoop.